the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joy Life. Available. The following program is sponsored by Reaching Hearts Ministries. Welcome back to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled Fear, Faith, and Fire, the Covenant Crucible. Now, if you have any questions about this message or anything that you hear on our broadcast, feel free to call this telephone number. It's 877-788-5371, 877-788-5371. This is part number 20 of the Genesis series. You can listen to all of these messages at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. Let's get underway. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Heavenly Father, if it weren't for the cross, we'd be utterly, utterly lost. And yet, because of the cross, we are very, very much found. And Father, I want to thank you that in Jesus Christ, we are not left to our own ruminations. We're not left to struggle for faith when we can receive it as a gift through the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest struggle really is against self, giving up on the virus of selfishness and doubt and giving in to God through Jesus. Father, for every heart who came here today yearning for the light, who is caught up in fear, searching for faith, and walks into the fire, may they discover the covenant crucible, that in the fire there is light, in the fire there is warmth, in the fire there is love. In Jesus' name, amen. Two years ago, Claire Rutherford thought she had a mild case of the flu. You ever had the flu and you thought it was a mild thing and then just kind of lingered on? Some of you have? Okay, well, usually when you get the flu, you get over the flu. I mean, people who get the flu get better unless it's some serious form of flu like H5N1 or the swine flu that wiped out millions across the globe. For the most part, the flu is no big deal. You struggle, you suffer, and you get better unless there's some other complication. But she did not get better. It did not improve in her situation. In fact, she later discovered, the doctors discovered, her husband who was a doctor discovered that she had viral encephalitis. And during her 11-week stay in the hospital, the virus attacked her system, her neural system, her brain began to swell. And over time, it damaged her ability to remember things. After 11 weeks in the hospital, this inflammation of the brain had left her as a woman who could barely remember her own name. Now, to make matters worse, she had prosopagnosia, which is the inability to remember faces. When her family gathered around her bed to comfort her, she couldn't recognize them. Who are you? The therapist brought family pictures. She couldn't tell which face was what in the family pictures. She couldn't recognize the faces that were the closest to her in life. She would read something and then forget it as soon as she read it. I mean, it affected every part of her memory system. When she came home, she couldn't find her way through her own house. Basic skills she had taken for granted were now lost to her. She had to relearn them. She would hold a fork in her hand, struggling to figure out how to use the fork in taking the food and putting it to her mouth. Her kitchen that she had just remodeled was like the planet Mars to her. 
Every surface and drawer, every little object in her kitchen was an undiscovered part of an alien world. She couldn't boil an egg or make tea or anything like that. She couldn't remember how to do it. She couldn't feed her family from the stove. She had to learn all over again how to turn the eyes. She felt nervous about sharing a bedroom with a man she couldn't remember and a house with children she couldn't recognize. Very nervous. But something inside her made her connect to a family she was sure, intuitively at least, was hers. One little virus essentially ruined her life and rendered her powerless inside her own family. She called it the virus that made me forget my family. Dear heart, maybe you have a virus that has made you forget your family. Maybe there's something inside of you that has replicated, that has prevented you from recognizing God as your Father, that has prevented you from recognizing a family of faith, that has given you a memory problem, more than this, a perception problem, so you cannot find the things of God and the people of God. You cannot develop a path of faith. Maybe you have that virus. The famous evolutionary scientist Richard Dawkins has compared faith to a virus that infects family when children are young. He believes that religious beliefs mimic the way viruses infect hosts. Faith comes to a child given by a parent, infects the child, he says, and then it gets replicated in the lives of those around. It spreads to social institutions. It spreads to the state. As far as Mr. Dawkins is concerned, faith is the reason we have all the mess in the world. According to Richard Dawkins, when a child learns faith from a parent, they are infected. He says children are wide open to mental infections that adults might brush off without effort, rendering them easy to pray to Moonies, Scientologists, and nuns. And of course he means anyone else who has anything to do with God or religion or the Bible. Now, Dr. Dawkins is absolutely wrong. You see, faith is not the disease Faith is not the problem in the Bible, in your life, in your family. Faith is the cure. Faith is what you need inside of you to deal with a disease that you can't handle, that you can't manage on your own. The Bible teaches that we are all infected, but it's not the virus of faith that has infected us. It's the virus of faithlessness, of spiritual doubt, of an alienation between us and God. That is the virus that you must contend with. And because of this virus that original sin has brought, dear heart, when you are struggling, when you are down, when you feel life has not dealt you the right kind of deal, it is in those moments you begin to doubt that God is your Father. William Shakespeare once wrote, Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Dear heart, faith is not the problem. It is the cure. Faith is the cure for the virus that afflicts your soul. God came to Abram in Genesis 15, 1. For the first time in his life, Abram felt the cold chill of doubt and fear take hold of him. He felt that virus of faithlessness begin to work and fear engaged the faithlessness and he was by nature a man of faith but now he was struggling with belief, with confidence in a God that had led him from Ur of the Chaldees. He had just conquered the kings of the north who had kidnapped his nephew Lot who had taken the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. He had decisively defeated them with 318 men but in his old age as he had pulled back from the battle scene as he had refused to take the goods 
decades of war, he now realized that he had a reputation as a man of war. He was not young, he was old, and yet he was known throughout the land as a man to be feared. The mantra traveled like wildfire, warrior man, warrior man, Abram is a warrior man. And Abram knew what that meant. It meant he was a target in the land of promise. It meant that these ten tribes or kingdoms that were around him could easily take him out because he was now a threat to them. Abram was afraid of the future. He was afraid of being a target. He was uncertain of where God was leading him. And this is the context for Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, thou hast given me no offspring, and a slave born in my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now God promised Abram here that he would have a son. He promised him a future. And as God addressed Abram's fear, there are three concrete interventions that we find that come to Abram at this time of susceptibility in his life. Intervention number one, God assured Abram that he is with him as a living shield. He says without apology, I am your shield. Now maybe you feel like there's no armor in your life. Maybe you feel like there's no protection in your life. Dear heart, God comes to you on the Holy Sabbath day and he says, I am your shield. And if God is your shield, you do not have to be afraid of the enemy. Yahweh means I am, and I am means, as an idiom, I am here. God says, I am here as your shield. And when God is with you, dear heart, you have all the protection that is needed or necessary for God's design and purpose in your life. The only antidote for fear in a troubled world is the presence of the Lord as a shield. Now, Brother Abraham Porasani has from time to time opened up his swimming pool to my family, my two sons, my wife, and myself. And we haven't gone this year, but in previous years we've enjoyed it plentifully. And I like his house because he also has berry bushes, fruit trees. It's like the Garden of Eden back there behind his house. And Kathy tends it well and every now and then feeds you from that delightful garden. Well, I have noticed that when we would play in the swimming pool, Every now and then, Brother Abraham would throw squirt guns into the swimming pool. And of course, the idea is clear. You have a water fight in the swimming pool. So my sons, ever eager to express their prowess against their strong dad, would squirt me in the face with one of those guns. Hey, Dad, look. Squirt, squirt, right in the eye, you know. Not very fun, not very exciting, but nonetheless, a water fight game. Well, we would at times take up sides. My son would be against the other boy, and they would be squirting back and forth. And I found that one of them would, from time to time, want to win decisively. So they would pull me into the mix. They would use me as a living shield and then squirt the other one in the face. You ever seen that kind of thing? When you have a living shield, you win. The balance is tip in your favor. Dear heart, when the devil is squirting you in the face... 
when he is taking a target at you and trying to humiliate you, God steps in. He takes the blows so you can win in the end. You always win with God as a living shield. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Psalms 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear Him and delivers them. Now many people, when they read this verse, they say, Ah, God sends an angel. I mean, He sits there on His throne, He says, Go protect Mike, go protect Sue. And he sends an angel that encamps around you. But notice, it doesn't say an angel of the Lord, does it? What does it say? The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him. And scholars have rightly said that this is an Old Testament expression for Jesus Christ. You remember when Abram is ready to slay his son Isaac in Genesis 22? He lifts his hand to heaven with the slaughter knife and the angel of the Lord calls from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, touch not the child. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your only son from me. Now how can the angel of the Lord be the Lord? But he is. You see, the messenger that comes from the Lord in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is not a created being. He is verily God. He is the Lord Himself. In Exodus, Moses was pleading with God to lead Israel after the incident of the golden calf. And God says, I will send my angel before you and I will put my name in him. Now how can God put His name in someone unless that someone is God? And so here we have an Old Testament manifestation of Jesus Christ, the messenger of of the Lord. Malachi says, the messenger of the covenant, or the angel of the covenant, in whom I sold delights, I'm sending him. And that is obviously a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. So the angel of the Lord means the mightiest being in the universe, who is verily God himself, who has no beginning and no end, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the messenger that reveals the unknown God, Jesus Christ, who died on that cross, encamps round those who fear him and delivers them. Dear heart, you are not alone if God is your shield. In the Bible, there is a fear that overcomes fear. And the fear of the Lord removes fear of others. Psalms 118.4 Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. You know, when you're down, you feel you're trapped by circumstances, and you're afraid, do exactly what it says in verse 4. Repeat after me. Come on. His steadfast love endures forever. It says, let those who fear say that. Have you ever been afraid? then you need to get on your knees or stand tall and repeat His steadfast love endures forever. Then he goes on, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. You see, fear is like a prison. When you're controlled by it, you're not free. And yet the Lord reaches into the prison of your fear and pulls you out so that you will not fail in life. You are free. Verse 6, With the Lord on my side I do not fear. What can man do to me. Now notice here that the secret to overcoming fear is having the Lord at your side, which means the presence of the Lord is a shield for the person overcome with fear. Verse 7, the Lord is on my side to help me. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord, to put confidence in man, 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Intervention number two, God assured Abram that he has a present reward for his faithfulness. Now, you know, we sing the song, you know, I'm satisfied with, you know, it talks about the reward that's over yonder. Well, dear heart, I'm not satisfied with the reward that's over yonder. I want something now. What about you? Wouldn't you like to have reward right now for following God? Not just delayed pie in the sky, but a reward right now. Notice what God says. In Genesis 15, 1, the Revised Standard Version reads, Your reward will be very great. In this intervention number two, God assured Abram that he has a present reward for his faithfulness. The Hebrew has no future verb here. The Hebrew simply says, your reward, exceedingly great. It can be translated, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward as well. But there's no future verb there. It's inserted by a well-meaning translator who's trying to make sense out of the context. God isn't saying, I'll give you a reward in the future. He's saying, right now, Abram, your reward is great. In the Hebrew, the focus is not on the future, but the present. In the fit of his fear, in the pit of his problem, God announces to Abram that he has a very great reward. Now, no doubt, Jesus Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, dug deep in the Old Testament to pull this concept out. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad... For your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. The eye of the wicked cannot see what the righteous have. The eye of the faithless cannot perceive the rewards that exist right now in the life of the person who has God as a shield, who walks by faith and calls on the name of the Lord. If you are a Christian and you are beset with problems because you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ, Dear heart, then you are not poor anymore and you don't need to tell yourself you're poor anymore. If you have Jesus Christ, you are rich. That's a fact. Now, my son Donald reminds me from time to time that he's rich. Now, I'll tell you how he got rich. He knows where my pockets are. I'll be standing. He'll walk up behind me and just kind of slip his hand in my pocket and take a dollar or two out. I know he's taking it out. Or I'll put my change on the nightstand, and he knows where it's at. He'll come and take a quarter or two. He lets me know he took Daddy's quarter. He says, Dad, I like being your son. Thank you for the quarters. In my car, I have to every week go to the metro, and I have to have money for the parking there, and I put it in a certain place. He knows where it's at. I never have the money. It's always gone. See, my son knows that he's rich because he has a father, who wants him to have change, spare change. And I don't complain about this. Dear heart, you are rich because when you, as a child of God, reach into the pockets of Jesus, there is no end to the riches of Jesus Christ. It may not come to you as a fat paycheck, but it comes to you as peace, as joy, as purpose, as meaning in your life. It comes to you as that divine intervention when you are about to fail for some reason that you cannot understand the riches of God have reached you and saved you from perplexity. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Intervention number three, God assures Abram with a promise that he will have a future and a legacy. There's no doubt about it. We are by nature afraid of the future. What do you do when you've worked all your life 
You've tried to squirrel away money in that IRA, but you know, you've had to pull it out for the demands of existence. And you don't know what your future is. You wonder if your children will respect the effort that has gone into raising them. And all this goes through your mind. In intervention number three, God assures Abram with a promise that he will have a future and a legacy. Abram's legacy will be a family of faith which shines like the stars forever. In verse 4, Genesis 15, he says, Abram, you will have your own son as an heir. Then in verse 5, he says, your children will be like the stars. Now, why the stars? Couldn't he have chosen some other metaphor? Daniel 12, 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the stars. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, the star is a symbol of someone who shines with the light of God. Abram's faith has a legacy. Galatians 3, 29, if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Abram is in his 80s, and his wife is old. He is old. They're too old to have children. God's promise comes to Abram when the promise is hard to keep. From a human perspective, God can't do this. Man can't do this. This is impossible. So what do you do when God promises you a future you can't visualize? When he promises you an outcome that defies reason? What do you do when God makes a promise that seems impossible for God to keep in your life? Abram's response is found in verse 6. Bold verse. The first time we have a statement in the Bible that says a man believed. And he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You see, faith is not the virus, as Dr. Dawkins said. Faith is the cure. Faith is the cure. How does God accept a fearful man who stumbles from east to west looking for a promised land? How does God treat a man who slips off the track from time to time as he feebly holds on to the hand of God? How does God relate to a man who gets sidetracked in life and goes off to Egypt, tells a little lie there, jeopardizes his wife, and then returns, but he almost gets killed in the mix? How does God relate to an old man? overcome with fear, afraid of his tomorrow, hemmed in by circumstances. The first man in the Bible who believes the word of the Lord is reckoned righteous. That's how he does it. The epigenetic principle is operative here. Everyone who believes the Lord after Abram is accounted righteous just like Abram. Because what happens in Abram's life is prophetic of what can happen in your life. If you believe the Lord when things are tough, if you hang on to the hand of God when you don't know where you're going, and God becomes for you a shield, God will look at you in your weakness, and He will declare you righteous in His eyes. Every man who believes the Lord, righteous just like Abram. Now the word reckoned in verse 6 is a legal term. Some people say, well, why do we have to have legal terms in salvation? Because guilt is a legal concept. You must have a legal solution for a legal problem. Guilt is a legal concept. The ultimate fear for every soul is the fear of standing in the judgment naked and without a righteousness that will survive the scrutiny of the judgment. If you have Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are not guilty because of that faith through that faith. 
If you have Jesus, you are justified by faith. If you have Jesus, you have a faith that will survive the judgment because His faith is perfect even if yours is flawed. And the mustard seed of your faith will lay hold of the mountain of His faithfulness. And in the judgment, God says, not guilty for you. And Jesus, God treats you as if you had never sinned. And if you believe, you are declared righteous for His name's sake. Not guilty before God in the universe. Not guilty before the devil's accusations. Not guilty in the jury of your own mind when you put yourself down before God and others. Not guilty for his name's sake. Dear heart, we must never read quickly over a verse like verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When you fall on your knees tonight and you believe the Lord and you call on his name, For salvation, forgiveness, and healing, God reckons it to you as righteousness. Romans 4.20, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. But the words that was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him that raised from the dead. Jesus our Lord, who was put to death for our trespasses. The Greek says parodidomi, handed over and raised for our justification. Romans 1, a person who suffers the wrath of God experiences this kind of judgment. He is handed over, same Greek word. Christ experienced what is the wrath of God. He was handed over to the judgment of guilt and sin. And what we find here, that Christ was handed over so you would not have to be handed over, so you could be not guilty before a righteous God in the law court of the judgment. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Remember, you can listen to all of these messages in the Genesis series at reachingyourheart.com. That is the first portion of Fear, Faith, and Fire, the Covenant Crucible. We will complete this broadcast tomorrow, and we hope that you will join us. Remember that these broadcasts are listener-funded. Thank you so much for helping. The address here is Reaching Hearts International, 15300, Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. That's 15300, Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, we invite you to stop by the worship service. Our services are held pending the completion of the new chapel at Cedar Ridge Community Church, 2410 Spencerville Road, Spencerville, Maryland, 20868. That's Cedar Ridge Community Church, 2410 Spencerville Road, Spencerville, Maryland, 20868. Thanks for listening, and as always, we pray that God is reaching Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.